this please to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. The book of 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, and we will begin reading in verse 3. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, Blessed be the God and Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you because you are gracious and kind and merciful. God, we are simply benefactors and recipients of that great love, Lord God, that great mercy that you have shown us. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us, your people, that you would bring us, Lord, to the place of full surrender to you, to the place of total submission, that we would not regard our own will as higher than yours or our own thoughts as higher than yours, but that we would understand and recognize that no matter what it may seem like, Lord God, you are wiser than us. That no matter what it may feel like, you are stronger than us. That no matter what we may desire, Lord God, your will is greater than ours. God, we humble our hearts before you. And I ask you, Lord God, to use me in these next few moments to share your heart with your people. I pray that you bring edification and revelation of yourself, Lord God. Transform us by your grace. And we give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> we are continuing, it's only our second week, but we are continuing on in our series in the book of 1 Peter. And we want to walk through the book of 1 Peter, or at least in my heart, and I believe the heart of the Lord is to walk through the book of 1 Peter and get some real good understanding of the scriptures. I told you last week that I probably, you know, I may not have a, a, a title for the messages that I preach. And this particular week, I struggled with like five titles because every time I would read the scriptures, like five different things jumped out at me. And so what I enti- entitled the message is this, and it is at the end of the day. That's what I want to talk to you about. At the end of the day, 
At the end of it all, when it's all said and done, what really matters, you know, when you have conversations and you're talking, you know, when you want to kind of sum up everything, you're just like, man, at the end of the day, this, this is really what, what matters. And so at the end of the day, as a Christian, this, this is the scripture. This is the portion of, of scripture that shows us that at the end of it all, at the end of everything, when, when it's all said and done, when we're, you know, being in, when, when we come and we cross over from this line, you know, right here in this world into the world of eternity, when it's all said and done, when everything, when we come to that day, there's one thing that is really going to matter, and it's going to be, do we really know Jesus, and did we bring glory and honor to his name? That is what is really going to matter. I wrote something down, and it is this, looking at these scriptures, this kind of sums everything up that we'll look at today, and it is that you and I, if you are a Christian in this place, we have been redeemed due to the resurrection, and we have a reservation, and we are being refined by and for our reward. I'll say it again. You and I, if we are Christians, we have been redeemed by the power of the resurrection and we have a reservation and we are being refined by and for our reward. I want you to get this. Jesus Christ is your reward. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I know you might be looking for other stuff, but let's get it right. Jesus Christ is the ultimate reward. He is the only reward worth running after. Mm-hmm. He is. Listen, I, I, know, I know we want different rewards here and now. I know, I know some of us are waiting for, you know, rewards from our jobs. We're waiting for rewards from different things. We're waiting for rewards from our spouse and from our children or from our parents. We're waiting on stuff, and we want to be rewarded. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, but what I am saying is that at the end of the day, there is one reward that you should want above anything else, and that's Jesus. That is Jesus. And when we read these scriptures, we understand. And what we talked about a little bit last week and we'll continue to deal with this week is that as Christians, we are on trial for our entire life while we're here on the earth. What do you mean, Bishop? We are on trial all the days we are on this earth. We are on trial. We are consistently or continuously bearing witness to who our God is. Did you hear that? We are consistently bearing witness to who our God is. Now, if you think about your life, does it consistently say, Jesus is my God? Or does it say something else is my God? Does it say that Jesus is the one who is the Lord, the leader, the, 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 the author and finisher of my faith? Does it say that or does it say something else is what I'm running after? On trial, that's what this book is about. It is about our lives and us being witnesses. And so for the duration of our days on the earth, it's important for us that we come to terms with this reality that we all hate. And this is the reality, and I'll, re and I'll repeat this a few times throughout this message, but it is this reality, and it is that suffering, hardship, and difficulty are not only a part of our lives, but are most vital to our walk with Christ. Let me say it again, because we hate this. We want to hear, come to the altar, pray a prayer. When you turn around, everything is going to be great. Everything is going to be easy. You're never going to have a hardship again. You're never going to have a difficulty again. A young lady, a couple of weeks ago, she was here with us, and she said something that was amazing. She said that when she opened her eyes after she prayed a prayer of repentance, she said, I feel new. I feel clean. I feel redeemed. And that is what Jesus does. And even though you will walk away feeling clean, 
clean, redeemed, and new, you will still have to face and combat every demon of hell that is going to try to tear you away from the loving embrace of your Savior who made you feel new, who made you feel light, who made you feel free. Because when you encountered him, he lifted the weight of burden. He lifted the weight of sin. He lifted the weight of condemnation. And he said, now go and fight this fight. He didn't didn't say go and stroll in the park. It's what he communicated. And if you and I are not fighting, again, I call you to question, are you really a Christian? If there is nothing going on difficult in your life, and listen, I'm not saying, let let, let, let me say it like this, because you may have just left mm -hmm, a difficult season in your life and and you're experiencing that glory of the high mountain. But what I'm saying is, from the time you met Jesus, have you gone through some hell? And if you have, you're in good company. Have you gone through some stuff? Are you going? Listen, if you're going through some stuff, we're going to get to all that. If you're going through some stuff, you're in a good place, glory to God. You are in a good place. Don't, don't start thinking, oh, man, this, 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 I can't be a Christian because I'm suffering. I'm, I can't be a Christian because I'm going through hardship. I can't go through, be, be a Christian because this is too difficult. No, on, on the contrary, this is part of it. But what I want to say is this, the work of Christ is best defined, in my opinion, this is, my, this is just my opinion, but the, the, the work of Christ in me is best defined as Christ making us look like himself by the will of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the vehicle of this thing called fire that looks different in each of our lives, yet it yields the same results. Understand this. You you need to understand that your flesh, your desire, and everything inside of you is totally opposite to Jesus. Everything inside of you is totally opposite and contrary to him. That's the reason why the fight is so tough. That's the reason why the battle is so difficult because God is saying you are the exact opposite of me and I have got to make you like me before I bring you into my kingdom. So what does he do? He sends his son Jesus to die in our place. He says you're new. He says you're righteous. He he calls you by a new name, no longer looking the way you used to look. He says all of these wonderful things about you. He says all of these things. And then he says, now I'm going to make this a reality in you. This is real. You're forgiven. You're washed. Now I'm going to make you look like it on the outside, what I've done on the inside. That's the work. That's the reason for the fire. Hallelujah. Say this with me. This is your first point. We must be rooted in our reasoning to bless God at all times. Look at verse 3. He starts out and he says in verse 3, he said, blessed, the word blessed is a worship word. It's a word of adoration. It's a word of praise. And the Apostle Peter, after he's gone through these other points that we dealt with last week, our sanctification, our election, our sprinkling of blood, after he's gone through all of that and encouraged us, prayed for grace and peace to be multiplied, he starts out with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the heart of the Christian should be, I am going to bless God at all times. I am going to honor him and bring him glory. He continues on to say, he said, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so in these first four verses, the apostle Peter, he unfolds for us and, and what should be the desire of us to bless God and the ability for us to bless him. It, the, the way that that comes to pass is because God reveals some stuff to us, because God shows us something. See, when I, I remember in youth ministry, I was talking about worship and really what worship is in one part, and, and, and I think in all areas, worship is simply a celebration of God that continuously happens. Amen. That's what worship is. It's a celebration. When when you love it on someone, you're celebrating Jesus. When you're you're bowing down in worship, you're celebrating Jesus. When you are doing good deeds in the name of the Lord, you are simply celebrating. But here's what what I communicated to the young people, and I hope you hear this. It is that a celebration is empty if there is no revelation. If you are just singing words and just doing deeds, but you have no revelation of Jesus, it is empty. You need a revelation. Here's the beauty of this. The beauty of it is this, is that if you come, I mean, just imagine, if you came to a place, you know, you came to a party, we'll just say, you went to a party, someone was like, hey, man, there's going to be a party over here at this house, somebody's birthday, we're going to go over there and sing them happy birthday. You went to this party, right, and you're there, and, and you're like, you know, you think you know this person or whatever the case may be, you're watching this, you know, you're, you're watching everybody around, you're like, I know some of these folks, whatever the case is, and then you start to say, you know, you start to say, well, who is the person, who is this birthday for, Right? Who's a birthday for? All of a sudden, somebody walks out of the kitchen or whatever the case may be, and the person who brought you to the party is like, yeah, that's the person. It's their birthday. Now, if you didn't know that person, you would probably feel real out of place, and you'd be like, all right, you know what? This was fun for a minute, but I got to go because I don't belong here. I mean, I, that's what I would do. I'd be like, I got to go. I, I don't I never seen this person. Here's what, here's what happens. It's the same thing with our worship. It's just like that. We come. We get around people that we know. Say, hey, man, we're going to a party. Where's the party? Faith, Thumb, Fellowship. Hallelujah. We're going to go, we're going to sing, we might, you know, some of y'all might jump, some of y'all are shouting, and you know, whatever. So we're going to have this party. You come to the party, who's the party for? Who's the celebration for? Well, you'll come for a while and you'll stick with the emotion of the moment. But if you don't know Jesus, you know what will happen? You won't keep coming back to the party. You will stop in the middle of songs. You'll be like, man, what is this all about? Can they hurry up? See, that, that, that's how you know if you really got a revelation, if you think we sing too long. I know y'all offended, glory to God. They laughing offended. They like, yeah, Bishop, you crazy. Look, the bottom line is, you really know him? You don't get tired of singing. You really, listen, you really know him? You really know him? You get that worship song, you know what you want to do? I know what I do. If it ain't on my phone, I continue to go replay on YouTube. Hello. I continue. Why? Because I never get tired of singing a worship song. I never get tired of entering into his presence. You got on, on my phone, you know, your phone may be a little different. On my phone, you have the option to repeat one, repeat one. Come on, keep it going. Why? Because I'm connecting with God Almighty. Why is that? Because I'm special? Because I'm holier than thou? No, man. I just got a revelation of how great Jesus is and how horrible I am. I got a revelation of how awesome he is and how desperately I need him. I got a revelation of how glorious he is and how pitiful I am. And I just want to bask in him. And the more times I can repeat and replay, the more I can connect with him and hopefully get a glimpse of that glory. And according to the scriptures, as I look upon his glory, become transformed from glory to glory. But if you don't have a revelation of him, man, we sing way too long. 
After 10 minutes, oh, my goodness. And then you start repeating, be lifted high. They're like, Jesus, can he say, please sit down. Stop lifting high. Please sit down. Please sit down. My legs are hurting me. Come on, man. Glory to God. Bishop's like, you're you're the everlasting father. Can I just sit? Glory to God. Listen, and if you sat down, I'm not getting on you, man. I, I I wasn't paying attention to all that. What I'm saying is, Revelation is what produces continual celebration of who God is. It is what produces that I will bless the Lord at all times. It is what produces that what the book of Psalms says, a yet praise, that while I'm going through whatever, there is still a, I'll yet praise him. What is that about? It is because you have some revelation that didn't come because you sat in a church It didn't come because you heard somebody explain it. It didn't come. It came because you met him and he showed it to you. And that is what this is all about. And the apostle Paul is, I mean, Peter is communicating to the churches that he's writing to. He gives us some reasons, some things that we need some revelation of. And I hope that you'll write these down and that you'll get them with us. He goes on and we'll read them together and 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 I'll pause as we get to each point. The first thing is, he says, blessed be the God, verse 3, of our God and our Father, the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, pause, the first reason that we get, As to why we should bless him is because of his abundant mercy. Now listen, you may not understand how merciful God is, but let me break it down to you like this. Every single time that you sin, you should die immediately. Did you hear what I said? Why? Because he's holy, we're not. We are in his presence. A holy God consumes, destroys, hates sin. Therefore, every time that I lie, and I'll just use me, I'll just use I because I know you guys are all perfect. Every time that I look lustfully at someone, every time that I think a nasty thought of hatred or unforgiveness, every time that I feel a way that does not bring glory and honor to God, I should die instantly because he's holy. And the fact that he gives me opportunity after opportunity shows me how abundant his mercy is. And even me and you who say you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, listen, if if you're not a Christian in this place, I'm not going to say you're in a good place, but you're in a better place than me when it comes to this point here. Why is that? Because I declare that I know Jesus. I declare that I've been saved by his grace. I declare that he has changed me and washed me. Therefore, I shouldn't be doing those type of things. If you don't know him, man, you know you know that that's wrong, but you haven't met him yet. He hasn't transformed your life. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is if you don't know him, you need to repent and turn to him. What does repent mean? Turn away from your sin. Turn unto him. Recognize your need for him. Turn around. But the first reason Paul, Peter gives us is he says, because of his abundant mercy, he goes on to say, he says, he has begotten us again. Second point, we have been born again. Why do we, why do we bless him? Because of his abundant mercy and because we have been born again. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus had this conversation with Jesus. He said, how, how can a man, you know, go back into his mother's womb? That'd be painful. It's like, I, I don't get that. I don't know if my mom would be down with that. You know, she might be like, listen, son, sorry. One time, in, out, that's it. <laughs> how, how are you born again? 
What does it mean to be born again? Listen, what it means to be born again, it means to be given a new life. That's what it means. Heart. It means to be given new desires. It means to be given new affections. It means to be given. It means to be regenerated. It means that I am given a new life. A life, the, the, the things I desired before, I don't desire those anymore. And the things that I never wanted to do, I want to do now. So I'll tell you for myself, when I first, well, listen, I hated, hated, I still do hate this. I have to be honest with you. I hate reading. Hate it. Absolutely 100% hate reading. But in like the first three months of me being a Christian, I read the whole New Testament. Why? Because I'm holy? No. Because I met Jesus and I wanted to know about him. I hate, when it, reading books, man, it took me forever. I'm going to be honest with you. It took me forever to read a whole Christian book from beginning to end. It took me a long time. Some of you, you like, you love to read all your life. you just always been up in books and stuff like that. Glory to God. Praise God for you. It's good. I, you know, some people enjoy reading. My mom, she used to have these books, and she'd be reading. I'm like, why would you waste your time on that? I, like, want to go play Nintendo or something like that. I'm like, I don't want to be reading no books. Let me go play football, basketball. Let me go do something. I'm going to read a book. Right? Crazy. The point of the matter is, the things that I, when I, when I, I remember, I remember not being a Christian, coming to church, because, you know, they used to trick me every once in a while. See, my parents, see, some of you are like, man, I wish I could be tricked. No, you, you, you're in a good home. They make you come to church every Sunday. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. For me, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. So my mom didn't go to church. So when she started going to church, she used to have to figure out ways to get me to church. So they'd be like, listen, you need some new sneakers? Check it out. We'll buy you an outfit, but you got to go to church Sunday. I'd be like, man, all right, all right, let me get this outfit, right? Then I would, like, skip out on my mom that morning, and she'd be like, oh, yeah, you want to do that? Then she really tricked me. You better go to church next Sunday. So, I, you know, I do that. Anyway, I remember going to church. I'd be sitting as far in the back as I could. <sighs> Should I say this? I'll just say it because it's the truth. I used to come to church high. Because I really didn't want to be there. I need to be numb to the situation. Okay? I'm just be, I'm keeping it real now. I know y'all are like, man, I'm, letting, I'm leaving this church. Listen, just love Jesus. I don't, it's not about me. I'm just telling you before, I, this is before I met Jesus. I don't, I don't, I'm not high now. I don't come to church high now. I'll be like sitting up here. Oh, glory. You know, I, I, it, ain't, it ain't like that. All right? Now it's a different scenario. Back then, I, was, I, I didn't know Jesus, man. This was before Christ came into my life. I was sitting in the back of the church. And then the church was in Spanish, so I didn't even barely understand what was going on anyway. So I would sit back there, and I'd be like, man, I can't wait for this service to be over because I need to go outside and smoke a cigarette. That's my, those are my thoughts. I would go outside. My mom and them would be still in it. I don't even know what they were doing. You know, altar call time, that was like time for me to leave. I would leave, go outside, whatever the case is. The day after I met Jesus and I came to church, I was in the back of the church. I was in the middle of the aisle. I was, because I, I wear contacts. I, I, and I didn't have glasses back then. I was squinting like this, and I was, like, trying to clap, singing these songs. I didn't know what they meant, but I was back there, yeah. <laughs> the, whole, the whole band was looking at me like, what is wrong with him? Because they were all youth, and they were like, this guy used to come up in here and be like this. He didn't want to talk to no one. He looked mean, and that's how I came to church. And they're looking at me. As soon as church was over, they, like, bum-rushed me like, what happened to you? I listen. I, I didn't even understand the songs. I just wanted to sing. I was like, I just met Jesus. I want to worship him. I want, what happened? That's what happens when you're born again. Listen, if nothing changed inside of you, if there are no new desires arising inside of you, there are issues. 
It doesn't mean you're going to become a bookworm. Hello, somebody. It doesn't mean that you're going to become, you know, backflip Joe, you know, doing worship. I don't know. You know, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that something is going to transform inside of you. New desires. The things that I wanted to do, man, I, I, I don't want to do them anymore. I didn't want to get high anymore. I didn't want to go and hang out like that anymore. All I wanted to do was tell all my friends about Jesus, and I lost them in like two weeks. Because they were coming up and picking me up to get high, and I would sit there while they were getting high telling them about how they were going to hell. I wouldn't say that. But I was telling them about Jesus, man. I was saying, man, you need to change your life. They're like, no, I want to roll this blunt. I'm like, no, man, you need Jesus. Before you know it, I was all by myself. Hello. That was the best thing that happened to me. I got to know him better. The point of the matter is, the apostle Peter, he says, because you've been born again, that's another reason to give him glory. That's another reason to bless him. He goes on to say, you've been born again, or he has begotten us again to a living hope. The third thing is that we have a living hope. We don't have a dead hope. Some people have dead hope. They have dead dreams. They have things in their life that there's some people, I have, I have conversation with people, and it's so sad because some of us had, you know, decent childhoods or whatever the case was, and, you know, we may have grown up certain ways or whatever the case may be. And sometimes, you know what we do? We get stuck in high school. Man, I wish I could go back to those days. You can't. No matter what you do, you are never going to go back. You're just going to be depressed because today's not like that. And you know why it ain't like that? Because you ain't in high school. You are a grown woman, a grown man. Life has changed. Right? So some of us have these dead hopes. We have these hopes. They're never going to be. Never. They're just something that we're holding on to. And I'm not talking about your faith in Jesus for miracles. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of us have these dead hopes. Paul Peter says, we have been begotten. We have been born again to a living hope. This is a hope that doesn't disappoint. Why? Why do we bless God? Because there is a hope that is within us. That hope is a future glory that we'll see. That hope is something that we are looking forward to that is better than any breakthrough on this earth. It is the hope of heaven. It is the hope of going into the glory of God. See, if you don't get excited about that, man, you must not know him. Listen, I, I've said this before, and I will say it again. There are moments in my life that I'm like, Jesus, man, I just, I'm, I'm enjoying this so much, and, and I'm having such a good time right at this moment. It's like, like right now, I'm preaching. I'm enjoying myself at this moment. I'm like not saying, Jesus, don't come right at this moment. Let me finish this message, then come. All right? I'm ha- I'm, if, this, if I was having a hard time preaching, I'd be like, Jesus, can you please come right now? Because this is difficult. But the point of the matter is, having a good time at this moment. Have time, good time with my wife, good time with my daughter, good time with friends, family, brothers and sisters in Christ. At those moments, I'm not, you know, like, man, you know, this is good, but I just want to be with you. That's the, that, I would be lying to tell you that that's what's happening. But what I am telling you is that in my heart of hearts, at the end of the day, I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day. I look, when, when, when everything else in this world, everything else gets me down, people let me down, you get hurt, whatever the case, what are you looking forward to? Where is the living hope? See, because situations may be hopeless, but Jesus is never hopeless. There is always hope in him. And so he says that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, there's the other reason. The resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is another reason why we bless God. Why? Because the resurrection says he conquered it all. I'm his. Therefore, I'm excited about that. No longer do I fear death. No longer am I afraid to die. I welcome death because when I die, guess what? I go with him. When I say I welcome death, it doesn't mean I walk outside in front of cars. Hello. That isn't what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is I'm not afraid to die. I'm not like, oh, my, when I was a kid, I was like, I was, I was afraid of death. I used to get really emotional. I would be like, you know, because I'm thinking that I'm laying in the, I would, you know, my head. I don't even know why. But I would think, man, I'm laying in this coffin, and I'm not going to be able to move. And, you know, not realizing, dude, you're not even going to be there when you're laying in this coffin. But I just got all claustrophobic, got emotional. Then I started thinking, man, my mom is going to die. I'm running her. Mom, you're going to die. And it was crazy, glory to God. Crazy. But I was afraid of death because what? I had no hope. I didn't understand the resurrection. Jesus resurrects. He conquers sin. He conquers death. He conquers the grave. Therefore, I rejoice because of what? Have victory in him. Have victory in him. He goes on to say this in verse 4. He says, you have been born again. You have been brought into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is where the part, it gets really wonderful. He says, to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. An inheritance. He says, we have an inheritance, something that we will never fully experience while we are here on this earth. Something that is reserved for us in heaven, an inheritance. He gives us some characteristics of this inheritance. He says, first of all, that the inheritance is incorruptible. In other words, it doesn't decay. It is imperishable. It continues on forever and ever. This is what we have to look forward to, this, this inheritance that is there in glory. That's what Christians are supposed to be excited about. Yeah, we get excited about the blessing that we experience here on earth, but nothing should compare, nothing should overshadow the glory that is to come, the inheritance that we are supposed to be looking forward to. He says that this is an incorruptible inheritance. It is an undefiled inheritance. Undefiled, meaning that it is pure, not tainted, cannot be destroyed. This is the inheritance that we look forward to. And then he says that it is, that, that is not fading or unfading. And what it means is that it doesn't lose its luster. It stays brilliant. The closer you and I get to heaven, the more clearly we begin to look at this. The closer you and I, you see, you meet people, and, and, you, and you can see this. You go on ahead and you meet a person who is older, right, a lot older than you, and they know that their years are, you know, few, and they really know Jesus, they're not depressed. They're like, God, why am I still here? I can tell you this firsthand. I have a, I have a great-grandmother. She's like 91 years old or something like that. And she's like, all right, I done seen enough. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to be here anymore. She looks forward to those days because heaven doesn't lose its luster. It becomes more brilliant. It becomes more glorious. The inheritance that is reserved for us becomes greater, and it becomes more full in our eyes and our understanding. He goes on and he communicates in verse 5. He says, who are kept by the power of God. There's your other reason why you, why you bless God. Because you and I are kept by the power of God. Now, we're getting somewhere here, and we're going to look at this hardship in a moment. But you need to realize that through all the hardship, that through all difficulty, through all of these situations, God communicates to us, and he shows us what? I am the one that is keeping you. You are not keeping yourself. Let me say that again. God says, I am the one that is keeping you. You are not keeping yourself. You may think you're good enough. You're not. You may think you do enough. You don't. You may think that you've arrived. You haven't. 
I am the one that is keeping you. When you feel at your weakest, when you feel in those moments that you cannot continue, it is not by your power, but it is by his power. His grace is sufficient, made perfect in our weaknesses. And we need to understand that that is the reality, that God Almighty shows us that he is the one. And so why do we bless him? Because, God, you're keeping me. I may forget that sometimes. And, and you may forget that as well. Sometimes we think we got it all together. But then, you know, those moments come where something shakes. And we start to realize, man, I ain't got it all together. We start to realize I, I still need him. And that, that's when he reminds you, I am the one that is keeping you. The last point that he gives us here is that he says he, he, we are being kept in verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in these last time. And so he says by faith that we are being kept by his power. And the last point is that we rejoice because he has given us faith for salvation. If God did not open my eyes, I wouldn't be standing before you today. I wouldn't know him. If he did not open your eyes and, and allow you to know who he is, you wouldn't know him today. But he gave you the faith for this salvation. And so we bless him and we honor him. We bless him and we honor him for all of these things. Here's the thing, though. Unless God is able to illuminate our hearts with these truths, we will cease to bless him in times of difficulty and even in times of pleasure. If our hearts are not overtaken and captivated by these truths, when things are tough, we won't bless him. When things are good, we won't bless him. See, because this is what people think. People think that only hardship are tests in our lives. No, good times are just as much a test. Because in the good times, when everything is okay, when you're not broke, when your marriage is good, when your kids are all right, when church is great, when work is good, when everything is all right, what are you doing? Are you really giving him honor? Are you really giving him glory? Are you really exalting his name? Or are you just on cruise control until you come into the speed bump that makes you recognize? Because how many testimonies do we have? Everything was all good. Everything was all wonderful. And all of a sudden, everything just fell apart. And then I realized... Listen, if you're in that moment where everything is all good, don't wait to the, to the speed bump to realize. realize. Realize today. Realize today that the good stuff is just as much of a test as the bad stuff. The book of Proverbs, he, the, the, the writer in the book of Proverbs, he says, Lord, don't give me too much because I forget you. That's what he says. Don't give me too much because I forget you. And don't, and, and, and don't make me be, be poor either because then I would rob and steal and then I really dishonor you. So either way, we bring dishonor to his name. But here's the thing. God can illuminate your heart in a moment. The question is, how much time are you spending with him? How much time are you there meditating on these truths? See, what my, my challenge is for you is that even as we go through the book of 1 Peter, if you don't memorize any other part of this book, I would encourage you to memorize that part because that right there is your motive to bless him. Dig into each one of those points and get it right. Second point here, repeat this with me. True faith will enable Tomorrow's glory to keep us through today's trial. True faith is going to have us in that place to where tomorrow's glory will keep us through today's trial. True faith. Look at this next verse here because this is when it starts to get really heavy. In verse 6 he says, in this you greatly rejoice. In what do we greatly rejoice? In everything that he just said. 
and everything that we just went over, he's saying, in this, you greatly rejoice. In my mercy, you greatly rejoice. In the resurrection, you greatly rejoice. In the incorruptible inheritance that is there, you greatly rejoice. The fact that I'm keeping you by my power, you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice because of the salvation that is to be revealed. You, re you rejoice in these things, he said, but he says, though now, and th th those two words right there, I would like highlight, I would underline, I would write them in big somewhere on there. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The words, though now, are some of the most difficult words that we as Christians have to face. For those words, though now, are the words that have us struggling between the faith in the future and the fractures of our present. Though now, he goes through this list of things that are so great, these lists of things that are so wonderful. And then he says, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now, though now. Though right now, in this you greatly rejoice because of his mercy. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you're suffering. Though now, for a little while, you're going through hardship. It is imperative that you and I realize that trials are necessary. No hardship and no difficulty in our lives is without a purpose. It doesn't matter what it is. The Bible says all things Work together for good for them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. Our issue is, this is our issue. Our issue is we don't, we don't really believe all things. We think that it says some things. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says all things, everything, the ugly stuff, the things that you don't want to think about, the things that you would wish never happened, all of those things. All of those things will work out for, 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 for God's glory, for our good. It will. It may not seem like it now. Here's our greatest struggle. Let me tell you the greatest struggle that every Christian on the planet has. They don't realize it. Every one of us, no matter how humble we think we are, our greatest struggle is with pride. Why do you say that, Bishop? Because you know what, what all of us do at some point or another? All of us do this. And if you haven't done this, I'm sorry because I'm falsely accusing you. But everybody I know has been in a place, in a situation, where they say a statement like this. Well, you know, God, you know, this and that or whatever. But, I mean, if you think about this, why would God do this? If you think about this situation, why would God work that way? Why would God? And, 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 and what we don't realize is that what we're really saying is, if I were God. Because what we're doing is we're bringing him down to our level of thinking. And we're trying to point out that maybe we know better than him. Maybe, and I take this from Francis Chan. He's writing a book that's in a response to a book that says that hell probably doesn't exist, which is crazy. But he's writing a response and dealing with that. And he says this, and he says, the issue with us is that we don't realize this. But the Bible says, we, don't, we, we know this is, this is what it says. But the book of Isaiah says that his thoughts 
are higher than our thoughts. That's what the Bible says, right? So could it be that while we sit here and we try to rationalize and bring God down to our level, that what we are really doing is we are belittling him because he is more fully developed in his morality and his reasoning than we are? And we begin to think, well, man, you know, I'm a pretty moral person. You know, I know what the scriptures teach. Therefore, if I am to reason and rationalize this, and what we don't realize is that it is in those moments that we begin to bring God down and elevate ourselves. It's hard. And you know when those moments happen? In those though now moments. The moments that we are going through something that we just cannot understand. We cannot understand how can a loving God how many people you know out there that you try to evangelize to? Well, how can a loving God allow children to be abused? How can a loving God allow children to starve? How can a loving God allow this to happen, allow that to happen? How can a loving God, all the, what are they doing? They're bringing him down to, to their level. They're not understanding that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It is better to simply say, man, there are some mysteries and some things about God that I do not fully get, that I do not fully comprehend. But what I do know is what his word has shown me and that he is good, that he is loving, and that he is faithful. That is what I know. And I trust him because of those things. And we go through these moments in our life where we enter into these difficulties. And he says this. He says, though now for a little while, if need be. This is why, again, highlight that. If need be. What the apostle Peter is saying, he said, obviously, there is a need for whatever you're going through. Obviously, there is a need for whatever trial, whatever hardship, whatever it is that you are facing, if need be. If need be. There's a reason why this situation is going on. He says, you have been grieved, grieved with various trials. Now, here's the thing that I want you to get. Trials are supposed to be felt. Let me say it again. Trials, testing, are supposed to be felt. We as Christians, you know what we want? We want the anesthesia. Hook me up with the epidural. I don't want to feel anything. I want to have this baby, though. That's what we want. God, you, you, you got to give me something. Give me some pain relief. And he does. He gives you pain relief. But he walks with you through that pain. He is the relief for your pain. But understand this. You're supposed to feel it. He says to them, he says, you have been grieved. What does that word grievous mean? It means to make sorrowful. It means to affect with sadness. It means to cause grief. It means to throw into sorrow. It means to offend. It means to make one one or it means to make one uneasy. It means to cause one to scruple or to doubt or to rethink or to be like, man, is this right? Did I make the right decision? And, and, and there's all kind of stuff that happens in our lives. But what you got to realize is that you are supposed to, in certain moments, feel this pain. I said this last week, and I want to reiterate this. It is okay to cry. 
It is okay to have down moments. It's not okay to get stuck there. It is not okay for you to just be bound in depression. If you've been walking around in depression for the last 10 years, you need deliverance. You need to let Jesus set you free from whatever it is that has you depressed. If you've been walking around, look, if you're, if you're the opposite, you just have all this anxiety and all this type of stuff, you need to let the Spirit of God deal with you. But there are going to be moments in our life, and, you know, and what happens is we have these moments that are just trying, these moments that are just hard. And as Christians, again, We've been so programmed, right, because we forget. This we forget. I'm going to preach one day, and I'm going to talk to you about how human Jesus was. Talk to you about that. Because, you know, we forget that. We forget that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. We forget that he cried. We forget that he grieved. We forget that he went through hardship. We forget that he cried to the place that blood was dripping from his head. We forget those things. Was Jesus unholy? Because he had those moments? Was Jesus unrighteous? No, he was human. And sometimes we want to deny. You know what we become? We become a bunch of fake folk. That's what we become. I'm not talking about that real joy that we're going to talk about in a moment. I'm talking about people that just, nothing ever hurts. There's an issue if nothing ever hurts. There's an issue if nothing ever discourages you. There's an issue. Are you real? Hello? It's an issue. Again, it doesn't mean we bask in those things. Because what does God do? God communicates to us, he says in the beginning of this. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. So what is the response to depression? Rejoice. What is the response to pain? Rejoice. What is the response to hardship? Rejoice. What is the response to difficulties in life? Rejoice. It's not denying what you are going through. It is simply responding correctly. Rather than me responding and saying, you know what, I'm just going to walk around beating myself up every day. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rejoice in my Savior. I'm going to respond to this pain by rejoicing in him. And I may weep as I rejoice, but I'm going to respond rejoicing in who he is and what he's done and what he's communicating. I may go through whatever. My heart may be torn to pieces, but I am going to rejoice in him and what he has done and what he is going to do. I'm not denying my pain. I'm acknowledging it. And I'm saying, you know what? I can, I can sit here and I can just wallow in it or I can rejoice in the king of glory. I can sit here and be stuck in it or I can rejoice in him and glorify him. It, it, it's a choice that we make. But he tells us that we are supposed to rejoice. See, here's the thing you got to get is that not only is, 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 is the trial supposed to be felt, but you also need to understand that the trials are different. He goes on and he says this. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That word various means many colored or many different types. In other words, we're all sitting in here going through different trials. Our trial looks different. Our fire looks different. For some of us, you know where our trial is? Our trial is right at our job. That's where the fire, the heat is on. That is where it is hot, hot, hot. There's a reason why the heat is on there. For some of us, our trial is right in our home. It can be our children. It can be our spouse. It can be our parents. 
But the fire is right there. Different. Some of us, our struggle is in our finances. Some of us, our, the, the fire is just burning. Hello. It's burning up your money. Hello, somebody. I mean, you, you, you're going through it. Some of us is just emotional. Some of us, this is simply, when we look at this word grief, man, it can be the loss of a loved one. That is where the fire is burning in your heart. That is where, that, that is where you are being grieved and you are being consumed. Everybody has some different kind of fire that's going on in their life. Hello. Someplace there's a heat. Glory to God. But here, look, here's the thing, is that the fire that tries our faith is different in every area in, in, in everyone's life. But some of us, you got to get this, some of us are trying to get out of the fire that is meant to purify our faith. Some of us are saying, God, deliver me from this job. I says, do you want faith that is coming out, purified, or you want the easy way out? Because here's the fact, this is what you got to get, is that you can turn the heat off for a little bit, but it's going to be right back on soon. He can move you to a different job, you won't have the same heat. Hello. In the beginning, it ain't like that. In the beginning, it's like, wow, this is wonderful, walking on clouds, glory to God. And then all of a sudden, the heat is on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Yeah, you don't even know what happened. It just got hot all of a sudden, right? Like, well, what did I do? You love Jesus. What did I do? You serving him. Because what? He goes on. He, he's, he's showing us why. He says, the reason for all these trials in verse 7, he says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So some of us, we want to get out of this place. You know what it is? We just don't realize. We do not realize how important genuine faith is. See, because wherever that fire is burning, can I tell you what? This is what God is going to do in the midst of that fire. He is going to, one of two things is going to happen. Either genuine faith is going to rise up or a false faith is going to be revealed. Listen. <laughs> and one, 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 one of the commentaries that I heard, that, that, that I read, because I do read, hallelujah, we talked about that. He said a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so why is he? Because the genuineness, the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, the proof of your faith, he wants your faith to rise. He gives this picture of gold being tried in the fire. How do they try gold? What do they do with it? Well, you guys probably know this, and I'm sure you've heard this before. Well, what they do is they take the gold, they put it inside of whatever, and they begin to heat it up. And as it heats, what happens? The impurities begin to rise. So what's happening in your fire? You're seeing all the ugly in you. Some of you, you don't want to be in the fire, not because it's so hot, but because you're so ugly. You thought you were over that. You thought you, thought you were done with that. You thought you passed that test. 
You thought that it was, you, you said, well, well, Bishop said that I was new and justified and, and, and I believe that, glory to God. But now I'm in the midst of this fire. I'm seeing all kind of B.C. just creeping up. For those of you who don't know B.C. before Christ, all right, we got that right. Good, glory to God. Something about B.C., what you mean? We're talking about getting prehistoric on us? Yeah, something like that. I thought that was all done with. Obviously not. It's still rising up. I still gossip. Mm -hmm. I still worry like crazy and get depressed. And I still cuss someone out. I know, I know y'all, y'all just holy, don't nothing ever slip out your mouth. You're just all good, right? I know. I know, I know. You guys are walking on clouds. I'm the one that needs deliverance. I preach to myself. Amen. Hallelujah. Set me free. Listen, you go through this fire, and what does it do? It comes out. You start to see this ugliness. But here's what happened. Some of y'all may not know this. Some of you may know this. It's, it's understood that the way that the eastern folks who used to deal with the gold, the way that they used to do it was different than other people. Because you know how they knew that the gold was pure? When they saw their reflection in the gold. When they saw their reflection in the gold, they were like, okay, now the gold is ready to come out of the fire. It is the same thing with your Savior. How long? For a little while. A little while could be a lifetime, depending on you. Hello? But you know what the beauty of this is? Is that he's the one who holds time in his hands. And he's the one who knows you can't handle any more heat. So if he has you in the heat, if he has you going through this heat, so what do you do? You trust him. You don't try to make your own path, your own way out. Because then, what do we do? We miss the process. We miss the process. We miss because... Oh, the heat is in my job? Well, the genuineness of your faith is what matters. But here's the problem, is that what he says here is that the genuineness of your faith is more valuable than gold, right? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, what are you spending your time on? If you believe that your faith is more important than your gold, then tell me this. How much time, how much time are you spending broken, bowed down before God Almighty? How much time? Because if your faith really matters and you really want the genuineness of that faith to come out, then you know what that means? That means that you should be spending a quality amount of time broken before God Almighty, allowing him to consume those things. So that way, when people begin to see you going through the fire, what they see is Jesus, not the ugly. See, I can't expect you to be because we all work jobs eight hours a day and stuff like that. So I'm not telling you, well, you know, you got to pray for eight hours a day. That's not what I'm saying. But can you pray for one hour a day? Can you? Just one hour a day. Not because I said so, but because you need it. One hour a day. Your faith, how, how, how do I know? Let me ask you this. How much time are you spending Getting the word growing inside of your life. How do I do that? Meditating upon the word. But if my faith is more important than the gold of this world, than the things that this world offers, then how much time am I investing in developing that faith? Let me ask you this. Just think about this for a moment. Especially for us that are older Christians. You know, we've been in the faith for a while. When was the last time you memorized the new scripture? When was it? Are you still living on those 10 that you memorized when you first met Jesus? Yeah, I hope you, I hope you answer the question. When you lay down in your bed tonight, I know you're going to be exhausted, but just take a couple of minutes. 
Just go through. Just think about how many scriptures do I know. Just start counting them out. See if you've learned anything new. Think about it. How much time? Is, is our faith really what matters? Is it, does, it, does that really matter to us? Are we really investing in seeing that? You see, here's the, here's the thing, and I'll close this point with this. When we're in this fire and we're going through this whole time of trying and this whole time of testing, here's what, here's what you got to realize. If the heat is on over here in your job, God wants to show genuine faith in you in that area. If the heat is on in your marriage, God wants to show genuine faith in that marriage. If the heat is on with your children, God wants to show genuine faith in that relationship. If the heat is on in the area of your finances, God wants to show genuine faith in that area as well. That's what he wants to show. That's the bottom line. I wish I could write it differently for you. I can't. The fact of the matter is that what I know is that where the heat is on in my life, that is what, what I did. And, and, and I will take you to my personal application of this, especially after studying these scriptures. I, I sit down and I look at where is the fire burning? Because if the fire is burning there, then God is saying, I need to prune you. I need to process you. I need to bring genuine faith out of you there. And if the fire is there, I'm not going to run away from it. I'm going to run to it because I realize that something needs to be consumed in my life or else he would have said, okay, let's move on to the next thing. Listen, God is not redundant. He's not an abusive father. He loves you with all of his heart and all of his soul. That's why he sent Jesus to die for you. So what do you think? He just wants you to sit there and just go, well, you know, I'm just going to let you burn for a long time. Is that what you think? Don't you trust his goodness? Don't you trust his love? Don't you trust his wisdom that he knows better than you and I? In closing, this is the last point here. Or the ending, of, the ending of this is what he says here in verse 7. He says, all of this is to do what? To be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the trials of our life are to bring praise, honor, and glory to Jesus at his revelation. Yet in the process, others get a glimpse of him through us, and he is glorified in us now. And so the end of the day, at the end of it all, what I'm looking forward to do is give him glory, give him honor, give him praise. That my faith says that. That as I live on this earth, that I have brought him glory. That I have gone through the fire trusting in his love. That I have gone through the fire rejoicing. He goes on to say this, and this is where I'm getting ready to close. He, said, he says in verse 8, he says, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And verse 9 says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so what he says is this, it's, it, it is that as we experience sanctification, because here's what happens, this is what the fire does. Remember I just said that the fire comes and the way that they used to process gold, they would put the gold in some kind of container and then they would, they would turn the heat up until the impurities came up, right? Remember we talked about sanctification last Last week, here's the problem with us in sanctification is that when we think about sanctification, we automatically think about us removing ourselves from a situation. We don't understand that it is not solely that. That is half of the process. The other part of the process is God removing the desire from us. It is God, it is not us simply saying no to sin. It is not simply us saying, I will not engage that. That is part of sanctification. But there must come a place, there must come a point in our lives. And that is what the fire is there for. Where the impurities, where the unrighteousness, where those things that do not bring glory to him come to the surface and he consumes them. 
That is what happens in sanctification. But as we experience this sanctification by faith, we experience the end of our salvation as well. Now. We don't experience it fully, but this is what he says. He says, whom having not seen. This is, this is us. We have not seen Jesus. Though we do not see him, yet we believe him. We love him. And we rejoice with joy inexpressible that is full of glory. Right now, you don't have to wait until next week. You don't have to wait until tomorrow. You don't have to wait until next year. You don't have to, listen, now. Now. You haven't seen Jesus? You can love him. You haven't seen Jesus? You can believe him. You can believe what he says. And I'll put it to you like this. The genuineness of your faith is expressed in your love for him, in your trust of him. When you say you trust him, when you say you love him, when you say, I know him, that is when you're expressing the genuineness of your faith. That is what is coming out, is that genuineness. That I do know him. I'm not, I'm, I'm, none of us, none of us are perfect. And none of us love him the way that he deserves to be loved. Every one of us falls short. That doesn't mean that we don't continue to strive after him. It doesn't mean that we continue, that we don't continue to pursue him and trusting him. And even in those moments, and this is the beauty of our God, even in those moments when we feel like, man, I just can't continue on. This fire is just too hot. He reminds us, I'm keeping you by my power. I'm keeping you by my grace. I know you're ready to give up, but I am keeping you. I have my arms around you. I am upholding you with my hand. I am your strength in the midst of that fire. Let me work my process in you. Because the beauty of this is that as we experience this sanctification, we experience a deeper love for Jesus. We experience a deeper trust for who he is. And he goes on and he shows us that we also express this joy. This joy that is unspeakable. You know, I love, I, I love when, you know, there, there, there's one brother that I, 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 just, I love him with all of my heart. I haven't seen him in a, in, in a minute. But whenever we get together and we're praying, there are these moments in prayer. And I've known him to be going through some hard times. And um, when he's going through those moments and the Holy Spirit just gets a hold of him, he just says something that, to me, it, it, it's cute, you know. And I'm just like, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like a child to his daddy. And he just simply says, glory, Jesus, glory, Jesus. It don't make sense, right? It's like it should be glory to Jesus, glory to God. But he just simply says, glory, Jesus, glory, Jesus. You hear other people, I, you know, Sister Michelle, sometimes, you know, she, she, she's very boisterous in, in her worship and her praise. And she just be like, yes, Lord. And, she, and I, I just get stirred, glory to God. And, 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 and listen, she's expressing something that some of y'all don't know nothing about. And I'm, I don't say that to elevate her. That's not the point. My point is, that's the joy inexpressible. It's that, man, you just say one word that just comes from the depth of your soul, and you're expressing something that is beyond all expression. You're expressing something that you don't understand. You just come to that moment in time where, man, it is just all him, and he is filling your life. But you know what? That doesn't happen when you don't meditate on his word. That doesn't happen when you're not spending time with him. That doesn't happen when you are not seeking him as he ought to be sought. It doesn't happen. 
It does not happen. You don't have an inexpressible joy. You don't even have joy. You know what God wants? God wants you to go ahead and go through this fire and experience some of this pain and experience the grief and experience the turmoil and experience all of that. But he also wants you to experience a joy that's inexpressible because I'm going through all of this fire. I'm going through all of this difficulty. I got all of this going on. But when God gets a hold of my heart, there's an inexpressible joy that just pours out of me. There, there, there's something that I, I, can't, I can't even put it into words. You know why it's hard to communicate it? Because it's inexpressible. Can you? It, it, it's something that is beyond this. And the reason why they cry out, yes, God, or they cry out, glory, Jesus, or they cry out, praise, or whatever it is that they begin to do, whenever, when, whenever someone is overwhelmed by that, you know what they're doing? They're just simply saying, this is just full of glory. Glory of what? His glory, his honor, his praise. And the end of it all is this, and this is where I close for real, hallelujah. And all of this, God is molding us into his image and likeness, not solely on the outside in our soul. We receive the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. It is something that is going on on the inside. It is something that is happening on the inside of my heart. And it is going to be expressed fully on the outside. But it's going on inside of me. In the midst of all of this, he's molding me. In the midst of all of this, he is conforming us unto his character and his likeness. In the midst of all of this, he is creating new desires inside of us as the old ones are being consumed by his fire. In the midst of all of this, he is establishing in us a heart that is after his heart which will ultimately bring him glory, honor, and praise forever and ever. That's what he's doing in front of us, church. So I invite you to stand to your feet and let's all bow our hearts before God Almighty.